We are recording, and this is the Filmography Podcast, Season 1, where we take a chronological deep dive into the films of Francis Ford Coppola. I'm Reese Crothers, and I'm here, as always, with my friend and co-host, Bjorn Olson. Say hi, Bjorn. Hey, Reese. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Filmography in episode number 17, looking at the films of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And we are uh, in a new era, for sure. 2007, Youth Without Youth. Yeah. And it's been 10 years since the last film we talked yeah. about, uh, The Rainmaker. And yeah. like as you say, New Era, it's the first of three films. I guess they were all self-financed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All smaller pictures, independent. Um, but uh, this one, I mean, this was a, I think this was a real surprise. If, if you said, you know, from the, the director of Jack, <laughs> you'd be in for a surprise. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah for sure couldn't be further from that and yet um this film which is about a you know again um uh a, a character who experiences living within a body of different ages i mean it's actually part of a trilogy mm-hmm. if you think of it with jack and peggy sue got married um mm-hmm. you know of a character who like in this case is a story about a 70 year old man who's hit by lightning and instead of being killed is rejuvenated and finds himself uh, emerging from the bandages as a 35-year-old man, so youth without youth. Um, and, you know, obviously, and then, I mean, the idea of being a 70-year-old man living in a 35-year-old's body, it's like the flip side to um, Jack being a 10-year-old boy living in a 40-year-old's body um, and closer to Peggy Sue got married with a, you know, a 40-year-old woman living in a 17-year-old body. But that idea... He's, you can see that there's a theme now that's that's repeating that kind of joins those films into a really strange trilogy. Um, but this movie, mm-hmm. the story of this movie is really three stories, right? Like, I don't know if you watch it with the audio commentary, but Coppola says there are like three stories. Mm-hmm. And the first story is the story of the, the old man hit by lightning who's rejuvenated and, you know, the doctors who are taking care of him and, and you know, um, really takes place in the hospital. The second part of the story is uh they're at the beginnings of world war ii and romania mm-hmm. is about to fall to the germans and the nazis have heard about the case of the man who's been rejuvenated by lightning and they are interested in him want to experiment on him and there's a kind of an almost like a film noir um, shape to that second part and then the third part is a love story in which the uh the now younger man tim roth um sees a woman who looks exactly like his first love who he lost. And she is also hit by lightning and there's a love story. And she, she seems to be aging as he is regressing. And there's almost a Benjamin buttons (laughs) kind of aspect to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it also, it's funny, like in apparently in the source material in the book, um, the characters are not, she's not the reincarnation of the same woman, but it's um, an idea Mm -hmm. almost seems to be born from Dracula with the casting of yeah. uh, Winona Ryder uh, in both roles. And so we have the same actress here playing first the, the woman that the old man has lost and the mm-hmm. uh, younger woman that he meets, you know, years and years later. Um, but, uh, but those three stories, I would say, uh, feel like, like three, three different genres. Um, did you watch, did you watch the film and the commentary or just the movie? Yeah. Yeah. I watched, I watched it with commentary. Yeah. Okay, because I thought it was a really, it, it, for me, I found them, I don't know, I'm curious to see what you thought, but I found the movie up upon first viewing, this is the second time I'd seen it, but I really didn't remember the first time. I saw it when it came out, 
Um, so the first time mm-hmm. I've seen it since then. And I found it really kind of impenetrable. But the commentary did help me understand a lot more of it and what he was intending to do. Um, it's a movie that's really about philosophy and ideas and language um, as opposed to really story or narrative, you know. Mm-hmm. How did you find it? Well, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting because you're right that we're sort of going back to, you know, previous themes and Coppola's kind of um, obsession with time that yeah. he, you know, explored it as explored in different movies. Of course, like you have the moving forward in time and the timelessness of things happening in, in, in uh, Dracula and the, all the um, time pieces and time motifs in, in Rumblefish and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and this again, you know, we, it's it's like it's it's kind of a time travel thing, but in a wholly different way. Like there is, there's no, uh, you know, like a, a, the time travel all seems to be, you know, it's not metaphorical, but it it's like nobody is actually, well, yeah, it's exactly like nobody is actually stepping from one period of time to another. It's just time has stopped or our brains their brains have sort of traveled through time in a strange way and you know it's like this is um it's it's him like this is coppola the intellectual full bore right like he the coppola the you know the literature appreciator and and you know well the fine art appreciator and him like as he is saying like he left the film industry um, because he didn't want to be forced into movies that he, you know, wasn't, you know, fully involved with, um, you know, uh, emotionally or mentally or, or whatever. And, and he came back because he had a, an opportunity to sort of self-finance or, you know, co-finance movies um, and, and to make them the way that he wanted to make them. And, and yeah, this, this movie is... Um, it's it's not the easiest movie to parse, but I didn't I didn't find it like on on first viewing I didn't find it like convoluted or anything like that. Like it's you know it's not obvious necessarily what is going on frame to frame, but it's you know it sort of like sets you up pretty well you know in the early going where you have this character who is you know regressed physically and has sort of gained you know these new powers these new psychological powers where he can, you know, perform all kinds of extraordinary mental tasks and there's a telekinesis aspect to it. And, um, you know, it, it seems to has morphed into this like super intellectual, um, person and has gone back to his sort of like, I, it seems like he, he aged back to what he kind of felt as, as an old man, you know, as we see him in the very beginning of the movie, uh, uh, Dominic uh, uh, Matei, the character played by Tim Roth, we see him as an old man, and the the, the when he is hit by lightning and and um, you know becomes younger, it seems it he doesn't go back to being like you know like a virile young eighteen year old or anything right. like that, but he sort of returns to um, and he doesn't even go back to the time that we see him at the very beginning of the movie where, no. where, where his relationship breaks down. But it seems like this is kind of an idealized time in his life where he feels like he is that, you know, 
he's it's before he sort of breaks down physically, but he is yeah, also the like at the height of his intellectual. What's that? The prime of his life. Yeah, exactly. He's at the height of his intellectual powers and sort of returns to that that existence. Um, and maybe that you know when he is struck by lightning, there's something subconsciously about him that sort of continually kind of rattles around in his subconscious that thinks of, of this time as, as being the idealized time and now he is always in that time so it's like you know because he doesn't age it, beyond that like the the story yeah, covers exactly. a great expanse of time we go from 1938 yeah. to like what 1969 something like that um yeah like 69 or early 70s like i guess yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they ever say specifically but he um, remains but yeah, 35 like, through all of that yeah yeah so that's, I mean, that's kind of like the basic conceit of the movie and, and it's, you know, like, um, fantastical, but it's not super difficult to, uh, figure that out. Um, well, it has, the, and, it has fantastical elements of, like of a fable, but the overall yeah. feeling of it is not like a fairy tale. It doesn't feel, I mean, it's a very, um, it's a very sober film. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a magic realism, low fantasy. Yeah. Um, uh, and and you know, like I I uh, I really I like. I guess you can split it into three movies, but to me, it was kind of two halves in a way. And the, you know the 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 the, um, the 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 point where it splits into sort of a different movie is pretty obvious when he is. You know the the when the Veronica story yeah. um, opens up, and I like the first half uh, better than I like the second half. But I, you know, I liked it a lot overall, and I liked um, uh, Tim Roth especially in it, and I liked how uh, you know Coppola was clearly he was making something that you know he, he, it seems I don't know how he came across this this thing because this he was saying in the commentary that this is an author that most people in Romania would have studied and in high school, but yeah, but he's it, not it Romanian. seems like, yeah. Uh, Iliad is the author, uh, it's better known as a philosopher and not as, you know, somebody who writes fiction. And it's just, he does not seem to be like super well known outside of Romania. So it's kind of, uh, you know, amazing how Coppola came across this and, um, you know, felt like it was something that he wanted to adapt and, you know, fairly esoteric, but, um, it, you know, he, he, he goes a lot of different places with it, but I think it, it, it works out and, and it's not, it's not a movie that, you know, draws a picture for you all the way from A to B to C, but, um, it, I didn't find it really convoluted or anything like that. I, 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 I just felt sort of uninvolved in, in it. Cause I, it, it sort of, the second time I watched it, I got a little bit more of the philosophy of it. But the first time I was w- always wondering, like, well, where's this going? Because it seemed to keep changing and shifting mm-hmm. gears. Um, mm-hmm. There's a science fiction element to it. like, And I loved, I mean, it, for, it looks great. Like, it's a gorgeous movie. Um, mm-hmm. And the location shooting is fantastic. Um, and it, it's it's really pretty to look at. Um, but you know, this, there's some interesting science fiction elements to it. And like the idea of getting powers after being hit by lightning, all that stuff was really kind of interesting. Um, but I thought too often it got mired down in, in philosophical debate, um, which is not cinematic and, and, and is more of a literary 
you know, pursuit. Um, something that is maybe in a book you, you might engage with differently, but like every now and then they would sort of start to take on plot and the me- mechanics of almost a genre. Like when the Nazis start to get interested in them, it almost turns into a film noir for a little while with the sexy mm-hmm. uh, Nazi um, female spy. And then the doctor who's supposed to be, I guess, kind of like a Mengele character, um, you know, in the sh- shootout in the alleyway and like, and then again with some science fiction there, when he makes the guy t- shoot, he overpowers the gunman with just his mind. Um, like those sort of fantastical elements, almost like a horror film. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I really kind of dug that. And then when it shifts gears, like if, whether it's the th- third story or like you say, the second half, when it, when he meets the second ring, when he meets the reincarnation of his love and for the Veronica story, um, it, it, like it just became about the origins of language and consciousness and stuff, which are really interesting ideas, but they're not cinematic ones. Like they're not, they're not visual ideas. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I felt like the movie lacked a kind of a propulsive element like that, that it wasn't always clear to me what the stakes of the story were. Like when he's being hunted by the Nazis, it's pretty clear. It's life or death stakes. Um, but mm-hmm. what is he doing with his powers? Well, he's like writing this, unfinished life's work this book about the origins of language and and uh, human consciousness but like it, it's not that exciting to sit him see him sitting there talking into his tape recorder writing notes and then he invents a language and you know it's like the elements that were most interesting to me were the elements that would sort of lend themselves more to like a genre project um mm-hmm. so it's i mean it's it's like the opposite of jack which was like <laughs> you couldn't say intellectual um but it's surprising for me i mean here we go with he's had to make a movie a year ever since one from the heart just to stay afloat and you could see that some of those are like more commercial than others but there's always seemed to be an element of the audience involved but all along he's saying well i really i wish i could make these small personal movies you know um and so finally you get to after all this time he makes this small personal movie and i felt like he didn't really have the audience in mind at all um i could see why those themes reappear, the themes of time and love and loss. Um, I could see the, what he might be interested in, but I, I, I never, I never really got the sense of like, where's this thing going? So when you, when you go mm-hmm. back and you watch it a second time and you know what it is, uh, I was less judgmental, I think, and kind of more open to it. But like, for example, like there's that part where he, he figures out how to be a good gambler. Like that was mm-hmm. interesting. Like, and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, yeah. this is going somewhere interesting. Like, okay, he's going to, he's a gambler and he's going to be, he's sort of like cheating because he's using his powers. Maybe he's going to be yeah. found out. Something bad's going to happen, but nothing bad happens. Matt Damon shows up and then, um, and wants to interview him. And then all of a sudden like, that's interesting character. Matt Damon's character who's mm-hmm. like, who pre- presents himself as a reporter, but is probably a spy. Um, like there's all this world war two intrigue kind of around the edges of everything. But it never, they never coalesce into something, you know, concrete. Well, I like, you know, I really like that gambling. Um, it, it, you know, it's a brief moment in the picture, but I like that aspect to it because Coppola has seen, he's seen enough movies to know that if you have somebody who um, has to go into hiding in a way, um, that they have to figure out a way to uh, keep themselves um <laughs> it was, you know, spending money basically. Yeah. And I, and you know, you don't always see that, you know, a lot of times, you know, you see in suspense 
films that you know somebody is is uh, is on the run, but they seem to have like completely unlimited funds yeah. and you know a suitcase full of clothes and that sort of thing. And I like that aspect of it. Um, so you like you would say you kind of agree with me that the first half is more interesting than the second half of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. The second half of the movie reminded me a little bit of, um, until the end of the world, you know, the Vim vendors mm-hmm. thing where it became about ideas more than character. Um, mm-hmm. and ideas are better for books than they are for movies. I think like mm-hmm. a movie can be, should be thought provoking, but when it, like, for example, you say, okay, what's the story about? Well, it's about this guy who gets hit by lightning and gets powers. Well, what kind of powers? Well, all of a sudden he's a young man again. He's virile. He's got um, these superpowers of, like, his intellect is increased. He's almost, uh, like you say, it's almost telekinesis. He can pick up a book and he he reads it just by looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, there's some interesting things there. He can get, he, he's able to figure out the probabilities of, of, of gambling and, and amass like, you know, whatever money he needs by, you know, by gambling. Um, okay. This is great. You know, and the Nazis are after him. Okay. You know, fascinating. And then it's like, so what does he do with all his powers? He thinks about the origins of language. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, well, he, he, he tries, he's, he's trying to um, resolve his life's work that he was never able to, like that, you know, he, when he's in the early part of the movie and he's an, an old man on death's door, he regrets not being able to fulfill his life's work. And, and now when he, it seems like he has unlimited time and resources and, and intellectual capacity beyond anything, any of his peers or anyone at all, um, he, he's finally able to fulfill his life's work. And I, you know, I like that aspect to it as well because it's it, it, like, you bring up really interesting points about, um, you know, the, uh, these, these things that are inherent in, in, in the way that, uh, you know, the film establishes this character as he is this, you know, um, man with all these superpowers, uh, and he uses them just to, like, <laughs> you know, in a, in a way, um, self-centeredly uh, fulfill his intellectual pursuits. <laughs> you know, the way that a lot of academics seem to want to do like they're on their deathbeds and they you know yeah. uh, they all they have is regrets because they you know they never got to, to read that text that they wanted to read or they never got to figure out you know such and such uh, a theorem or, or or whatever and i like that aspect of, of of coppola sort of like you know not giving us what we expect or, or what we want or what we crave when when he establishes you know that those sort of plot beats in in, in a story um uh, and you know, like it's it it does meander a little bit, certainly in 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 the second half, and and um, well, the, the romantic- second half has has a really interesting romantic idea, right? Which is that mm-hmm. while he's trying to finish his life work, he meets this woman who's also mm-hmm. hit by lightning, who but seems yeah. to seems to take the opposite response to it that he takes, and she's aging. But as she's yeah. aging her language is is regressing and she's going further back yeah. and further back in time to these earlier languages, yeah. which is what his life's work is all about. But yeah. at some point the movie posits that he's, he's the reason that she's aging and that if he leaves her, um, yeah. that she will be okay and she'll be young again and she'll be beautiful and she won't be tormented by this, whatever this, this, this past life or whatever that she's re-experiencing. Um, and so in order, and so like if, if he was selfish, 
he would stay with her and she would probably die, but he would get to finish his life's work. Or if he truly yeah. loves her, he will abandon her, you know, which is sounds counterintuitive. Um, but he has to like, if he really loves her, he's got to give her up. That's Casablanca. You know, that's a, that's a classic romantic kind of concept. Yeah, um, exactly. And yeah. I thought that was like, that was kind of powerful, but the way that he gets yeah. there, it's just, it's like, it's not that there's so many interesting elements at play in this story, but it's like, you know, for example, like what if it was, if you think about like the time travel aspect of Peggy Sue got married, well, it's like if his, it, I think my problem is the inherent kind of anticlimactic nature of the work that is his life's work, his life's work. Yeah. You know, it's, it is, it's interesting to contemplate like the origins of language and human consciousness, mm-hmm. but there's no like, there's no, there's no plot mechanics in that. But like, for example, yeah. like you think of something like, uh, Peggy Sue got married when, it was briefly concerned with how to get her home. You know, like mm-hmm. there are stakes and there's a ticking clock and there's a resolution that you're moving towards. Whereas in his case, like he's, it doesn't seem to be in aid of some sort of goal. Like the goal is to finish the work, but, but, the, but like, it's not like the, to finish the work for what, you know, like, it's not like if he was a time traveler or something, um, if he was like figuring out time travel and it was like, there were stakes involved mm-hmm. in it because what happens if he doesn't finish his life's work? Um, nothing. Right. But if like, if he's trying to solve the time travel problem and it's like, he doesn't finish his life work, they're never going to get back to the present or do you know what I mean? Like there's, there, there, there isn't some like inherent stakes involved in what he's trying to accomplish. Um, it's just, it's just, I think, you know, like, uh, his finally realizing that like to, to be able to, it's it's an idea that is kind of fat, more fascinating outside of, of of the movie itself. When you think about, he is about to find out what language sounds like before recorded language exists, and that's a yeah. pretty like mind blowing scenario. Yeah, that's um, cool. And you you think about it outside of the film, it's 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 really quite extraordinary. Um, but it, it's, it's also it's, an unanswerable you know, with, question, though. It's like, what does God it's, sound exactly, like? Right? Yeah, it's yeah, beyond our exactly. comprehension. You know, or what yeah. is God? That's beyond our comprehension. Um, if, yeah. there, if such a thing does exist, and it's yeah. like the, the the movie can't ever supply an answer to what was the first, what is what was the first, you know, example yeah. of of human language. Yeah. Um, it can't answer that. Yeah. So it's like it kind of sets up an appetite for something that it can never satiate. Um, exactly. But it, it would, but if like uh, maybe you know, I believe Kubrick <laughs> could have done that. He could have like convinced me, you know, but I don't think that this yeah, movie I mean, does. He, he sort of explores that in 2001. So I, yeah, you know, you may be right. It's too bad he never got there, but he's probably the only person that could have done that, you know, but yeah, but like, yeah, what would the first sound be? I think in the, on the commentary track, Coppola contemplates that. And he's like, I was interested in like, what was the mm-hmm. first, you know, was it, would it just have been clicking sounds? Like, yeah. You know, what, what do they call that sequence? The, you know, where in 2001, where it goes into the, the baby in space, the, the star something sequence. Um, uh, star child? Star, or Stargate, I guess, yeah. rather. Or Stargate, Star Child, whatever. Um, yeah. It's like, if there was some sort of equivalent sequence where we were going back in time, the way that, mm. it, the way that we experience it is like, you know, shots of her sort of like uh, in torment, but there's no feeling of us moving back in time. Like I know that Mm -hmm. she's moving back in time, but like, it seems like they didn't bring us along for the ride or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to knock, like, I don't want to knock the movie too hard. I just found that like, you know, 
he's been saying that this is what he wanted to do since Rainmaker, this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think like, so you spend like the whole filmography kind of thinking like, what would Coppola, what would Coppola do if he finally got to do whatever he wanted? And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, this is the answer to me. It was kind of a disappointing experience because I just didn't, I didn't get that engrossed in all of it. You know, um, mm. I, I didn't find myself rooting for Dominic in any way. Cause I didn't really know what he wanted. Mm. Like, I know he wants to finish his work, but I don't really understand the, the work. Maybe, maybe it's too cerebral a concept for me. Um, like, I don't, I, I don't know. I know if somebody's a runner, well, you know, like you can track their speed. Like I can, I can have some way to measure how close mm-hmm. the hero is to achieving their goal. In this case, like when he starts to invent his own language, I'm thinking, you know, okay, we've kind of lost the plot here. Like I have no idea where he is in his journey. I have no idea. Once you get to the point mm-hmm. where you're creating your own language, how close are you to understanding the origins of language? There's no metric by which I can measure his progress. Right. But I mean, like he does create his own language. So he is able to, uh, you know, communicate with himself in code because he knows that the Nazis are listening. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is an interesting idea of creating your own language. But I just mean that like, like how do I, as an audience member know what that means in terms of his ultimate goal? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. I I mean, you know, I have, I share some of the issues that you have, but I, I definitely, found it compelling for sure. Like, it, uh, and again, you know, I like the first half more than I like the second half, but even in the second half, you know, it's, and I, there's also, you know, his, his, his little, you know, visual cues that he gives you that this is maybe not, uh, entirely real or real at all. Uh, the up, upside down shot. So he talks about that in the commentary where that's, that's meant to signify that it's in a dream. Um, but it's, you know, it's like the whole thing, the whole thing could be a dream before dying or he may have died when he gets hit by the lightning. Cause it, it goes into black for a long time, right? It would make sense that he would have died getting hit. Like I know people have got hit by lightning and survived, but you know, an 80 plus year old man probably would not survive it. So not the way that it it, happens in the movie, like lifts him up off the ground. Like I know a guy who was hit by lightning twice. Which is like kind of amazing, and he survived. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was he's a U.S. marshal, but he was he oh, was okay. he was hit by lightning once, like when he's a kid out fishing, and then a second time mm-hmm. he got hit by lightning, like as a as a young marshal or whatever, um, and, mm-hmm. and and found himself. He woke up and he was like Im- embedded in a tree, like you know, oh. n- nearly <laughs> nearly killed him, but but yeah, wow. but he's an unusual case i don't think i don't think most people get yeah. hit by lightning more than once and survive um well i mean that's 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 like the other thing is is like you know the the the, the chances of getting hit by lightning are astronomical right so it's like this that's part of what this movie is about is is just these you know all these things that happen um that just shouldn't you know uh, surviving yeah. a lightning strike like being able the to look of it the look of the like yeah. the, the effect of him getting hit, the way that it, that yeah. was staged, it was a great effect. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, that he's able to elude the Nazis when you know, so so few people were, um, like you know, if the Nazis decide you know they want to uh, have a talk with you, they're going to have a talk with you. Yeah. Maybe you won't uh, come out the other end and stuff like that, and and also like the you know 
uh, with the, the the Veronica character and her, you know, regression of, of language and the, you know, the two language experts, like um, the experts in Sanskrit, and they're like, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go to India and we'll, you know, and yeah. then all the like it, it turns out to be that's exactly what they wanted to do. Like this movie is full of these, uh, you know, completely outlandish things that 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 happen, you know, time and again. Um, so you know, you got to roll with it, I guess. <laughs> it also has a really interesting use of like that the idea of the double, right? Because one of the things that happens to him, yep. it seems like almost as he gets too intelligent, his psyche splits yep. into two, and he has yep. these conversations with himself with the the double throughout the course of the movie. Although the devil disappears for a while in the second, mm-hmm. like towards the second half. Um, yeah. But I thought it was interesting, like that idea of like, who is the double? Is it his, you know, is it the ego and the id or is it like some other thing? Like Coppola talks about on the commentary track, the idea that it might be like the voice of like the future humans that he's becoming, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, or some sort of like godlike thing. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I loved the way when he finally confronts the double and he smashed the mirror. I loved that. Mm-hmm. I love the way that the yeah. image seems to just like dissolve yeah. through the broken glass. Um, yeah, there's so many striking shots in it. Like in the, it really is an incredible looking movie. Um, oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's really like going for it with, with the, and, and you know, there, there are, there are some, some really, uh, striking visual visual effects in this film for sure. And I like the dream stuff. Like you say, the, un, the upside down images denoting mm-hmm. dreams. Um, I, I, I really like that sense of disorientation of being flipped upside mm-hmm. down. Um, mm-hmm. was kind of really neat. Um, and I think at the, at the core of it, you've got Tim Roth's performance, which is mm-hmm. like Tim Roth sometimes can overdo it. You know, he's like, he, yeah. he's, he, he can chew the scenery if he's allowed to. Um, yeah, but here he's pretty restrained and yeah. I thought he was like really effective, really subtle and nuanced. And like, I really believed his big, like his big emotional moments when he was like in the love mm-hmm. story stuff, he had so much compassion, you know, just kind of in his eyes. Um, I actually met Tim Roth one time and he, he was really cool. Mm-hmm. He, he directed a movie called, uh, the war zone, which was brutal. Yeah. Did you ever see it? I haven't seen it, but I know about it. Yeah. So it's brutal. It's about like incest. Right. Um, yeah. And I remember like seeing it at the film festival, Toronto film festival. I think I was 17. I was with my best friend, James. And I was like sitting, we sat in the front row. Cause we knew back then, like, you know, Oh, if the director's here, you know, you, you'll be at the front and you can see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we sat in the front row and like at the end of this movie, we were just devastated. And I was like crying. <laughs> I was, like, that was so brutal. And Tim Roth, came up to take the, do the Q and a, and he looked at me and he's like, are you okay? I was like, man, that was so <laughs> fucked up. And he's like, do you want a hug? And he gave me a hug. And oh, wow. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he's so cool. He was, uh, he was, he was really compassionate too. Cause I remember somebody was really upset and then we walked out and he went next door and like had a beer with a guy. But, um, mm-hmm. but I think Tom, I mean, Tim Roth can be, uh, he has a like a, a ferociousness to him that mm-hmm. that he represses for this part, and it's like mm-hmm. you know I think it's a really nuanced, layered performance. Um, 
And I think he's really likable. And when he does the double, there is a sense of a different, per- like he plays it slightly differently. It's colder. Absolutely. You know? Yep. So you're, all, you're never and, confused about when you're looking at the double and when you're looking at him. Yeah. And I, and, and you know, he, he changes, like you, you see it briefly, but he's, he plays it, plays the old man. He's not just playing old man as like, I'm a doddering <laughs> old man and I have a cane. And, uh, like Harvey or, Dean or Harry Dean Stanton in, uh, in yeah. the fairy tale theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he, the, the way that he plays that, um, and then the way he plays basically the same person post lightning strike who has much more confidence. And, you know, obviously a much stronger intellectual ability and ability to communicate is, is, is quite a bit different. And yeah. you see that as well. And, and he's, you know, he's such a skilled actor that sometimes he, he just goes full on in, in anything that he does and doesn't always work. But I mean, when he's really committed to something, he's uh, hard to, uh, uh, you know, hard to match for sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he I always think like... The- one of the first things that I saw him in was um, Alan Clark's uh, Made in Britain. And, Amazing. You know, he's a, it's one a, of the best performances ever. Yeah, it's a real searing performance. But then seeing him, yeah. so, I mean, I'm a big Alan Clark fan. So if you see that and then you see Gary yeah. Oldman in The Firm, but then you yeah. watch Meantime by Mike Lee and they're both in it. Mm-hmm. And such a different. Yeah, that's right. So it's almost totally. Fun, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I love all those early performances. And yeah. he was great in the hit. Yeah the Stephen Frears movie. Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. you know, I love Reservoir Dogs. Like, I think he's incredible in Reservoir Dogs. He's great in Pulp yeah. Fiction. Um, I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff lately. Like, I think he's done a lot of TV lately. Um, yeah. I mean, the last thing I, I know I can think of for sure that I saw him in was uh, Resurrection. Um, What's with, that? Is that a show? Uh, Rebecca Hall. Uh, no, the uh, movie, uh, it's, uh, Rebecca Hall, I, I am. Uh, let me look it up quickly. I don't want to. Uh, I believe it's called Resurrection. Um, it sounds very it's, Yeah, it's like a psychological horror movie from the last couple of years. And he is. Uh, yeah, Rebecca Hall and Tim Robbins. He's a man who used to be in a. Uh, he was an abusive relationship with. Rebecca Hall, and um, he like comes back into into her life, and he, you know it's, I can't really say what he tells her because it's really like it's the crux of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it I have a problem with the way that it ended, but um, Rebecca Hall is amazing. I mean, if you want it, like if, if there is a female equivalent of Tim Roth, yeah. She's she's probably got a good case, and yeah. and he's great in it. That was the last was thing that I saw him, in, I think. Uh, no, not really, not really. Um, it's mostly about Rebecca Hall and her dealing with like the trauma that she has to deal with. Um, but it is like it is like a psychological horror movie, so there are like okay. supernatural and horror elements to it. Um, but yeah, definitely worth watching. I don't think, but he hasn't done a lot of a lot else. I know he had that ten star TV show for a while, and before mm-hmm. that, he had that network show, Lie to Me. Um, but in the nineties, he was everywhere, right? Like, I think. Oh, I mean, when we're talking about great Tim Roth performances, though, you can't forget uh, again with Gary Oldman, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. You know, 
yeah. and I think, but here he's, you know, he's, um, he's got to play. I mean, he's got to play an old man. He's got to play a young man. He's got to play the young man's alter ego. He's got to play, he's got to mm-hmm. play ro- a romantic lead. He's got to play like, uh, there's a bit of the beautiful mind kind of like the academic character. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess cause in the beginning he's what a professor or he's just a writer. I'm not, I wasn't clear what his, He's just a seventy-year-old academic. I don't remember what his. Yeah, he's an academic. Yeah, I, 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 he probably wasn't teaching it at that point in his life. But um, yeah, he because the the young man that younger man that comes up to him, I think, is a former student in, in the beginning when he's like, "Oh, you're you're not, you know, you're not you're dressed pajamas, for the weather." Yeah. yeah, I like that. I actually like that part. The old man in his yeah. pajamas wandering out into the snow has kind of lost his place. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and then the, you know, the, um, the, the immediate, I guess that's the last part right before the, uh, he gets hit by lightning. Um, Mm -hmm. but it is interesting to think of it as like, is it a dream? Is the whole thing just a dream? Because Mm -hmm. that also might, it has, it feels like it takes on a dream like logic, you know, the way that, for example, like the, the Nazi, um, the female spy, the way she keeps sort of appearing, keeps finding him. Um, and yeah. yet he doesn't see, it doesn't seem like he's in real danger. Like he's not, I guess until the scene where they're in the alleyway and the guy pulls a gun. Um, but I would yeah. like to have seen, you know, like in, in that scene, for example, when the guy's got the gun on him and then he uses powers and he, and you know, mm-hmm. there's that great shot of the shadow of the guy's arm twisting and bending and now, you know, positioning the gun at his own face and then the mm-hmm. trigger like that's, that scene was so fascinating that I wanted more of that. I wanted more like, I wanted him to use his powers for something other than his homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it is. You do just get that hint of it. And I guess that's on purpose. And, and because of the way that he shoots it, where he just shoots it in shadow. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you just the idea of this, that like he a can whole do universal this, gonna, movie, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> or Dracula. I mean, he played with shadows and light and Dracula mm-hmm. in a similar way, letting the action unfold yeah. on, on the shadow of a, on a wall. Um, yeah. But I mean that, that stuff's like that stuff to me was like really exciting. And I wanted to see more of that and more like, I wanted to see more application of the powers. Like in some ways it's like, you know, the promise of the premise, you know, there are scenes that are suggested by the premise. And here if the premise is, like what's it about well it's about a guy who gets hit by lightning and then gets powers the movie doesn't Mm -hmm. really service that Mm -hmm. especially once it becomes the love story in the second half right because it's not even active Mm -hmm. in because like what's happening to the character is not even happening to him it's happening to the love interest um Mm -hmm. yeah it stops sort of developing like what his powers are and stuff and like it would have been interesting to go more into telekinesis and like you know, again, the gambling thing for me, I like, I wanted to see him as, as like this gambler for like, yeah, that was one of those elements where I was like, this is a really cool element and I want to see where this goes. Like, what are the ramifications of this? But you don't really get that. And also like, I mean, when he kills the guy, like for a movie that's philosophical in nature, um, he took a guy's life, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really get into the existentialism or anything. It doesn't, Mm -hmm it doesn't really deal with the fact that he just committed a crime. Um, I mean, it's self-defense, but he still, still makes the guy shoot himself with his brain powers. Yeah. 
Like, I mean, I guess that that's the idea is that it, it's just chalked up to self-defense. And maybe he, uh, that's, that's a part of, you know, his character as um, this, you know, extremely high functioning intellectual is that he, uh, you know, that there's relative value in, in, in human life. Like some human life is expendable in some instance. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy was a super Nazi, so it's like, you don't feel bad for yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. But I remember thinking, yeah. like, the first time I watched it, I was like, all right, he killed the Nazi, great. And then afterwards thinking, like, but there's no consequence to it. Like, mm-hmm. nobody's hunting him down for it. The Nazis aren't coming looking for him. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or the Nazis at the beginning, they're like, they want him, and then his doctor says no. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Nazis took him yeah. for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, uh, he is, uh, you know, able to escape to Switzerland and to to live there. And I think it's credible that, you know, he is able to figure that out, able to outsmart. You know, we don't see everything that happens. And, you know, it does kind of like just take that for granted in a way that he is just able to escape the Nazis. And there is, you know, there's some tension when, when in that part of the picture, for sure, when it's like, what are the Nazis going to do? Like, is this, where is this going to go? Is he going to like, is he going to become a Nazi or, you know, like anything could happen. Right. And, and he's just, instead he's just able, able to escape and, and, and uh, live in Switzerland. And it's and sort of like the um, lightest, most crowd pleasing part of the picture when Matt Damon shows up, who, yeah. uh, you know, shows up uncredited, but obviously, you know, excited to work again with, and perfectly cast as, you know, as American as apple pie. Um, and that's fun. But, uh, but doesn't, yeah, it, doesn't I, that, when that's like when Matt Damon shows up, aren't you thinking like, okay, now this is getting interesting. Now, like there's going to be some espionage or something like it doesn't, don't you, when, for me, when there are these little prompts, these, yeah, I these did, yeah. genre prompts, I'm like, I'm ready to go in that direction. And then yeah, they get sure. dropped in the next scene and you're like, yeah, even the love story kind of comes out of nowhere. Right. Like, it's not like, yeah, like all of a sudden it's kind of going in one direction and then all of a sudden she just sort of drives into the scene and then all of a sudden she's like the main half of the story. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's just an odd, I, I mean, it's a very, it's an, yeah. it's, it's a really odd story. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine reading this story and thinking like this would make a great film <laughs> like because it's not cinematic. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. But you know, Coppola pulls it out, I think. <laughs> well, again, he he does these literary adaptations, and and without having read mm-hmm. uh, Iliadi, or is that am I saying it right? Iliad, Iliadi. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. Um, that's without close. without having read the source material, it's always hard to say. Like if he if you go with what Coppola says about the fact that the style of each movie comes from the source material has to come inherently out of the out of the writing. Um, mm-hmm. without knowing the source material, it's hard to say like how true he was to that artistic intention, you know, mm-hmm. because I haven't read it. Whereas like the Godfather, I read the book of the Godfather and, and you can, see, and you can judge the adaptation. I can't comment on, on, on whether it's a faithful adaptation or whether it's a faithful, uh, representation of the ideas inherent in the mm-hmm. novella or anything like that. Um, but I can just say that this, the story itself just doesn't seem to me to be like, begging to be made into a movie. It seems right. like yeah. li- a literary c- conceit. Yeah. 
Well, I guess that's part of him challenging himself, you know, like something like the S.E. Hinton works are pretty easy to adapt because it's it's mostly dialogue. Um, And something like this, clearly it seems like the the source material is, um, you know, full of uh, all kinds of obscure, uh, you know, well, Eastern philosophy and, and Western philosophy yeah. and like getting yeah. into like, and I, 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 I think he said something on the commentary about it, it, him leaving parts of the having, having to leave, leave parts of the original work out as well to make this movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, he said it, it went it, like it went to Dublin and went to all these other places. And I think it was a larger. State. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's it. In some ways, if you forget about the plot and you forget about the genre elements and stuff, there is a kind of an interesting feeling in the movie. Though there's like this feeling of mm-hmm. time running out and yeah, of like remembrance and yeah, longing. I mean, longing. I think there's something about Tim Roth's character that's like desire. You know, the fact that the first time we see the character, he wakes up and he starts weeping, which is so sad. It was yeah. like such a sad yeah, that's right. yes. this old man wakes up and takes a sip yeah. of his glass of water I, and starts I, crying, you know? I I had forgotten about that, but um Coppola talked yeah, he talked about that in, in in the uh commentary a little bit and yeah, I, I you know, I think that's a, a sort of a shared experience. I think, you know, um when we've been in dark places and have woken up and our subconscious has been messing with us a little bit and sometimes you wake up crying and, and, and it's, you know, it's a, not something that you really see that much in because it's, it's kind of daring to do that. It's like starting, starting right off the bat with like this character wakes up and just starts crying. Yeah. It, it, it can be a turnoff for a lot of people, but I really appreciated that. And it, that, well, it was done with a lot of humanity and a lot of warmth. Yeah. Like it's presented and it's presented in a way, like even the way that, before he starts crying, the camera cuts and it's like a f- further away from the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives him a little bit of privacy and a little bit of dignity. Yeah. You know, the way it was done, like he doesn't seem pathetic or anything like that. Um, yeah. but, and you don't know what he's crying about. I, I mean, it's, you had these sort of like this opening montage of images, clocks, language, you know, yeah. the, f- the face of the woman he lost. We see, uh, inscription from a pocket watch that says, you know, we'll love you forever. So there's something about that. that we know it's kind of, is going to be ironic. Um, and, and then, so he's haunted by this dream. We don't quite know what the dream means. Um, but then quickly he's talking about the fact that he's, he's afraid he'll never finish his life's work. And we get the sense the time is running out for him. Um, yeah. The opening shots of the clocks and stuff immediately, I was thinking of Rumblefish. Yeah, well, for sure. And, and, you know, like, I think that sort of melancholia about time is really illustrates where Coppola is at um, in his career. And, um, you know, he had taken, a, gone on a 10 year hiatus and uh, had gone back to Apocalypse Now and, and recut it and The Outsiders and recut it and had, had worked on other things but i think it's like there there is always this sort of melancholy in his commentaries and and when he talks about how 
like he never has that sense of regret with one from the heart. Like it's, it's, it's very close. I think to the movie that he wanted to make. Yeah. And I think he's very proud of it. And I think it's exactly what he wanted to do at that time. And, um, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about Frederick Forrest at the end of the, uh, uh, episode. Cause he passed away. Yeah. Rest in peace. The last episode. Yeah. Um, I feel bad because I didn't say the, the the most generous things about him in One from the Heart, but no, but you're absolutely you were absolutely right about all those critiques in in One from the Heart, and it doesn't take away from the fact that we both really appreciated him as a, as an actor and as a presence and in the movies that we we've, we've seen him in, and he's so so unique and brings like nobody else brings what he brought to um, his performances. Um, you really notice when frederick forrest is, is on screen even if maybe especially in apocalypse mis- now miscast. the scene when yeah. he, with the tiger i mean like that's always in my mind when i think of him that, yeah <laughs> never get off the yeah. boat um, yeah <laughs> you know. uh but yeah so i, I just to, like i think you know he's in his 60s coppola is in his 60s now and there is like i think he there is a regret in him that he will never ever lose that because of the way that one from the heart bombed that his career didn't, it wasn't able to go the way that he wanted to go despite, you know, all of his successes beforehand. And, and, and that like the movies that he made in that era, like he wasn't making shit like he, you know, some, some great films and, but you know, again, like he put, put his heart so much into something like the cotton club and, and, you know, the reaction is so mixed to that. And it's not really until Encore comes out that he, he gets his, his, his due. And I, so I think that that is just such a huge theme and where he's at with this, with this film. And this film was completely new to me. I'd never seen it before. And not only that, I really had no idea what to expect because uh, this film was kind of dumped uh, yeah. in theatrical release at the end of the year in 2007 and uh and 2007 was a big year for movies i mean there were a lot of good movies that year yeah so this one didn't make this didn't make any top 10 lists (laughs) and you know the the critical reaction was not positive like there's no no sense in uh putting a nice bow on it 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 was not well liked at all and it never went wide and it just kind of like had a brief limited release so i really hadn't had didn't had no idea what to expect with this movie and i think you know that kind of one of the biggest themes in this film is is just that like feeling like you have come to it to a to an apex in 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 your career and then maybe you have one last chance to really do what you wanted to do but there is always that sort of like it's never quite going to be perfect you know because i think he felt he spent so much time having to do what he didn't want to do. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's sad in a lot of ways, but it's also like, a, you know, at least he's realistic about it. Well, it's funny. The, the review by Ebert starts with, um, youth without youth proves that Francis Ford Coppola can still make a movie, but not that he still knows how to choose his projects. And like, mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> you know, that's pretty harsh from Ebert, but who loves Coppola. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's what it comes down to is the go- choice of projects. If you're only going to make a movie every 10 years that yeah. you got to pick the right projects. And I feel like even yeah. with something like cotton club, you could see where, where encore shows you what was wrong with the first version of cotton club. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but some of the mistakes in it are obvious or what, what, what doesn't work with it is obvious. Um, but his, but there's nothing, no fault of his, like there's, you wouldn't say it's poorly directed or the shots aren't good or it doesn't look nice or mm-hmm. it doesn't sound good or, you know, like his work is always flawless. And I think his work here as a director in youth without youth is flawless, but I'm not sure that, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that, that, you know, the, the script is, was ready to go. You know, like, again, I just feel like I look at it and I say, why does the, why would this movie, why does this movie need to get made? Like, what is the, what, what, what are you selling tickets to? Like, what do we get out of this movie? And yeah. And I felt like this, the philosophical ideas kind of get lost in it. Um, even though it's what so much of it is about, but, but the, the, again, the parts that I get excited about are these, all these elements that just get dropped. Um, you know, I yeah. think in some ways, like if it was more experimental, maybe it w- I would have liked it more. Like I, I saw in the opening credits that Roma Coppola did the second unit. So I was thinking, Oh, mm-hmm. okay, great. Like having just watched Dracula again, um, I was really excited to see what kind of imagery there would be, what kind of, you know, will it be as, uh, playful and as experimental as Dracula. And I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more of that, that there wasn't more, you know, maybe it was the dreams and they were just kind of like, I felt like a little underwhelming, you know, I would, I wanted to see yeah something more like one from the heart is so experimental, the images and the colors mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I, I think youth without youth is a beautiful movie, but, but for its scale, he could have afforded to be more experimental cinematically. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I, it's funny because he is, he's, you know, he's making this movie in, in Bucharest and, and, uh, partially in, uh, in, in Switzerland and also partially in Ireland, I think I can't remember Malta. exactly, but you know, Malta, yes, as well, Malta and, and Copeland, somebody known for kind of working with the same people over and over and over again. And this picture, he's, got roman with him and he's got walter merch yeah and everybody else is new yeah (laughs) so it really is like a whole new era for him and so maybe you know maybe you're right maybe he needed to have um more people around him uh and when you look at what roman did in dracula that aspect of it is not as evident in youth without youth and maybe he needed to have more people around him um, you know, to help him with that, to help him more fully realize his vision, and 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 to help him experiment more, to back him up, um, when really he was just doing it all by himself. Um, so yeah, maybe that is a, an element missing here. I don't, you know, like I, for me, again, it's it, I, I didn't really know what to expect, and uh. You know, the, Tim Roth is such a big part of this, and he really carries this movie, and that yeah. really did a lot of the heavy lifting for me. And I like, you know, I like that it's a movie about intellectual ideas and about in, intellectuals and academics, and it brings up, you know, interesting things in their lives and interesting ideas in it. But I like that it doesn't really get bogged down in that, and maybe doesn't really need to. you know explore these ideas in in such great detail and rather like it it has this kind of like flaneur sort of um 
you know, feel to it where he's just going from one, walking from one idea to another idea and taking a piece of this idea and using like, you know, Tim Roth as the world's smartest man as sort of an avatar to, to, to guide us through that. Um, so that's what I appreciated about this movie is that it was, you know, it, it has that sort of flowing feel to it that, uh, I, you know, I usually like, um, in, in a movie like this, when you're, you know, you're doing sort of a, uh, you know, a, an intellectual art film based in, in literature, I like, I like for it to have a little bit of flow to it and yeah. a little bit of dream logic and, and dream feel to it. So, I mean, a very pleasant surprise for me <laughs> overall. And, you know, like, I agree with, with uh, uh, you know the issues that you have with it for sure, and most of the things that you brought up, I I agree. It just I think it worked worked for me a little bit better um, in that I just sort of like gave into it in a way. Well, that's the I mean that's the goal, right? Is to be able to give yourself over to it. Um, yeah, and it's like the and all these things we're talking about. We're not talking about empirical things. We're talking about impressions and just personal. Like, you know, what works for us maybe doesn't work for someone else or, you know, like, it's not like it's in concrete or anything like that. I, I, I wonder if like, if I see it again, you know, 10 years from now, or if I watch it as an older man, I mean, one thing is I think it's kind of like an old man's movie. Um, Absolutely. And I don't think that that's a bad, I don't say that as a bad thing. Like people say that about the Irishman, you know, because it's like really slow um, and takes his time and, you know, it's like, it's an old man's movie. Um, I'm hoping that there are movies to watch when I'm an old man, you know, that are going to be good. And this may be something that I revisit when I'm 60, um, and have a completely different feeling for it. I mean, it's like we were talking about vertigo before we started taping and, you know, vertigo, when you see it, when you're a teenager, you've probably hadn't experienced the kind of love that vertigo is about and love vertigo is about a very strange kind of a selfish kind of love. Um, yeah. but in a kind of a, and, and, uh, an obsessive aspect of it that I don't think, you know, you have to have, have loved and lost in a profound way, which most of the time you don't when you're a teenager. Um, even though you think, even though it feels profound at the time. Yeah. Um, so vertigo is a movie that when you're younger, you watch it. And I think the visuals win you over, but it's only when you're in your, you know, we get to like 40 or something like that, that it really hits you on a, emotional level um so this might be that kind of movie where it's just like it's not for you know younger people it's not that i'm that that young anymore but but it's for 60 70 year olds you know maybe you've got to be the age of the protagonist to really identify with it you know and have experienced a lifetime and know what that means because it's ultimately that's what's important about the movie is like it's not that a guy gets you know he's just that he's made younger it's like a guy lives a full life and then is given a second life and what would mm-hmm. you do with your second life? And to me, I, mm-hmm. again, that, maybe that's you know where I have a problem with it, which is like if you lived your whole life, and you know in this story, the idea is that he's lost the woman he loves because he was too busy with his life's work, and he spent his whole life doing this life's work which he hasn't finished. Um, and you were given a second life, would you spend it doing what you did with your first life, or would you take chances and do different things? And I think one of the things yeah. that, that seems to be a problem is like. He just uses the second life to continue what he was doing with his first life. So yeah. it doesn't seem like he changes that much or like the, the, not so much that he doesn't change, but 
he does change, you know, in the sense that he goes from old man to young man, but he isn't, um, I don't know how to say it. Like he isn't, the changes are superficial, right? Like you look younger, you, you, you know, you, there's surface changes, but he isn't profoundly changed from the experience of giving, gotten a new life. He doesn't learn to love in a different way. He doesn't like, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's just something, there, there was something missing in the core of it about the core concept of like, what does it mean to be given a second youth? Yeah. But it, it you know, like maybe that what, is like how Coppola is so clever and how he's working on another level with this sort of thing is that, you know, you are given that second life, you are given that second chance and you go back and what do you do with it? And, you know, like, Oh, I'll do all these great things that I should have done, you know, now that I have the wisdom and Coppola is kind of saying, no, most people would just like continue doing the things that they were already interested in. (laughs) And I think it's like, yeah, you're right. You're right, Copeland. Like most people would do that. We're all that's because we're you can be the smartest man in the world, and you're still a flawed human being with, you know, a, a creature of habit. And yeah. I like I like that. It's not, it's you know a less clever, more conventional director would not go that way. And I appreciate that he didn't. Yeah, because in the Benjamin Buttons thing, it's like he goes off and becomes a sailor, and like you know, experiences the world and, you know, all mm-hmm. these things. Um, and here he, he just does more homework, but it's, uh, I don't know what, yeah. what, 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 yeah. what did he, what, what was the feeling that it left you with at the end of the day? You know, what was the, what, what do you walk out of the theater kind of feeling? Is it melancholy? Is it, is it something else? Is it a wistfulness? Like what, I'm not, what, what do you think he was going for? Um, well, he, like we, again, we see this, character that has recurred this motif that has recurred through his movies about the sort of the um the iconoclast the singular man um and and you know they sometimes they succeed sometimes they fail sometimes they ruin their lives sometimes they go into disasters and sometimes things just stay the same and i think you know we see this recurring theme through Coppola's work. And I think he wants us to sort of appreciate the, the, the iconoclast who dares to dream and, and, you know, dares, dares to, to, to go down their own path um, and, and seek out things that they are interested in and want to explore. And I think we're supposed to have uh, like, it's, he wants us to sort of think that this is not necessarily something that always works out, but it's like, it's, this is, you know, part of the human condition. And maybe it's, it's, it's more than that is that it's part of the male condition. And, 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 and that's really what he's talking about. It's like, this is how, how men are. And sometimes it's disastrous and, and sometimes it's great. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately he's a humanist and he wants us to sort of, feel that enriched human spirit in, uh, you know, living through these experiences. And, and with this picture, he is also throwing in the uh, aspect of aging and coming to the end of your life and, um, you know, how that personal for him and personal for, you know, his cohorts who, uh, um, 
you know, are also exploring these sorts of themes. It just occurred to me that, you know, that like Coppola, there's themes, Buddhist themes in this movie. It's not as explicit as like the story of Kundun, yeah. but, um, it, it, you know, that also like, you know, Scorsese and, and Coppola going through kind of similar things and uh, different times in their career, but having this sort of different like spiritual experience. Um, and I think, you know, Coppola wants us to examine that and Scorsese is more looking at like, uh, this is a, a serious political situation. Um, but, you know, Coppola, it, it, there is a wistfulness for sure. And, and, and there is, you know, this, uh, a sort of nostalgia for, for what could have been. But again, I think he's also sort of looking at it like, um, you know, this, this is something we can strive to, to, to sort of, you know, look, look at the world through our own eyes and figure out what our path is in it. And, and, uh, I mean, whether this film is entirely successful in, in that aspect of it, I, because I don't think that's entirely what it's going for, but that there is, there is that element to it where Coppola is, it's like he's, it's sort of like deepest humanist level. He's talking about like how, uh, mankind or person kind can achieve these sorts of things. And, and it doesn't, doesn't always work out, but it is worth striving for, I suppose. Well, I think that's a pretty hopeful interpretation. I like that. It's, it's a, I think it's a good way of looking at it. I felt, I feel like, you know, when I, at the end of the movie, the way I, I felt like I had that feeling of waking up from a really sad dream, you know? And so the movie, I mean, again, it's hard sometimes to separate the value of the movie from the experience of the movie. Like if a movie makes you feel kind of sad, you might say like, I don't know if I like that movie, but it doesn't have anything to do with how good it was. You know, so like right. my, I would say it's like, it's like, I always think when you rate a movie, you know, you go on letterbox and you, you put how many stars you'd give it. Um, you're not really giving the stars to the movie. You're giving the stars to the experience that you had. And you'd say, yeah. I, I had a three star experience. You're not saying that's a three star movie because that's subjective. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and for me, um, I think it was like the movie, this movie made, made me feel kind of sad and like, the word escapes me, the, the, the emotion mm-hmm. that I felt, but, but it kind of w- a wistful, melancholic kind of feeling, um, and a yeah. feeling of loss. There's a real feeling of loss, um, without it being really, I mean, he does lose the love of his life in the course of the movie twice. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, th- and there's that feeling of, that was part of the feeling of Dracula as well. Um, mm-hmm. I just think, like I said, for me, maybe it's unfair, but there were these little glimpses of the, of other kinds of movies it almost was or it could have been um mm-hmm. i would like to have seen the universal horror movie version where he does more of like the making the guy shoot himself stuff and you know, yeah or even like a melville kind of like you know underground bob la flambeur you know seeing him more with the gambling or something these 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 other things that sparked my yeah. imagination but really yeah that's not what the movie was and you can't really judge a movie for what it wasn't um, you got to look at what was there. And I think when you look at what was there, it's a beautifully made movie with some really interesting ideas and a couple of really great performances that anchor it. Bruno Ganz was great in his supporting role. Um, you know, Matt Damon was great in his cameo. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it to me it feels like it was a bit of a misfire. But I'm glad you liked it more. I mean, I'm not sure what the critical consensus on it is, but I got the feeling that it was kind of a misfire in terms of... Yeah, well, I mean... Like, 
It's got a 33% me, on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I, I think, like, to sort of, I guess, you know, tie a bow on it, I, I think that because, you know, the, the, the main conceit of the story is this is a man who the feelings of melancholy and wistfulness and, and, and sadness even that you might find in perhaps a more conventional picture um, of that would be of this sort of story of, of like, you know, a man who has is dedicated to his life's work and isn't able to realize it. I think that gets a little bit thrown out the window for me because of the idea of, of like that, the, because of the, the magic realist aspects of it. So because he decides to go that way narratively that, the, you know, the more sort of um, conventional uh, aspects that you get with, um, you know, a romantic storyline or a typical drama is, something that i guess affects me a little bit less yeah and if, like that's uh you know something that you experienced that i didn't really experience because of just because of the idea that it's you know because it's not real because it's, you know it's it's this fantasy um yeah so i get it, it it is this movie was uh, this is, you know, this is the first Coppola movie in the Metacritic Rotten Tomatoes era. So we have, you know, yeah. we have this record of, of how it was received and it was not received well. And again, I think a, a lot of that has to do with that it was badly marketed and poorly released and kind of shoved out at the end of the year when you get a lot of Oscar bait movies coming out and perhaps are, you know, when you're competing with uh, movies like There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Um, it's, it's, that's tough. And, and this is, you know, this is, uh, the new guard really, um, two, two different generations almost in a way with the Coen brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson coming in, um, to sort of challenge Coppola for, for, you know, <laughs> the new mantle of, of, uh, the greatest auteur. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think it's really, uh, quite got its due and I hope it's, at some point it will have uh you know some sort of reappraisal because i think it's a really strong film and and all the elements of course that you mentioned uh that you really liked about it and performances and the way that it looks and um you know this i, I like that you referenced melville because i actually was thinking that as well in you know the gambling scenes and the the, the, the nighttime scenes and just the way that people looked that it had it had a melville feel feel to it for sure and uh, I liked all those aspects of it as well. Well, anytime anything is blue, I always think of Melville too, because he shot, you know, he shot movies that look like black and white, but he shot them in color, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of blues mm-hmm. and steels and grays. And but uh, yeah, I mean, I also I just think anytime there's a gambling scene, I think of Bob Lavlambour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So where is it like in your? I mean, we have when we get to the end, we'll do our proper, you know, rankings. But is it? Uh, mm-hmm. Lower tier, upper tier. Well, this is you know, this is above stuff like uh, the Rainmaker and um, you know, one from the heart. Uh, if I took what my ranking was when I saw it compared to how I like how much I liked you without you, it ranks higher than one from the heart. But I keep thinking about one from the heart. 
And I thought about yeah, it when Frederick Forrest passed away. And I put it on at work recently and was watching it. And I was just like, just astounded at the way that it looked. And, and you know, it's, when we when we get to the, the there's going to be a, a few movies that I will probably want to rewatch. And that's going to be one of them. But as it stands now, I like Youth Without Youth better than one from the heart. It's, it's like uh, Dracula, uh, you know, um, lower than Rumblefish, uh, round Cotton Club, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's probably a lot lower down on the list because I'm just going on pure, yeah. like, how how I enjoyed it. But I might find myself thinking about it. I mean, these rankings change. Like you say, one from the heart. Before we rewatched it, my estimation was a lot lower than when we rewatched it. And it's actually grown yeah. since we talked about it. Um, yeah, th- there really is nothing else that looks like it. Um, yeah, and it's just like just watching these movies, you know, in chronological order. It really casts this this kind of um, specter over everything that comes after it, partially yeah. because of like the way that it defined his career, but also because like you keep seeing references to what he was trying to do in the movies that he made after it, yeah. and it all seems to come back to this. This, this this one project that just like he put so much so much of his of his love and craft into it and it just didn't go the way that he wanted to but you, it, it's I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious but you keep seeing references to that movie in the style of his films um, over and over and over again yeah and it, and because it also serves as the dividing line right between the masterpieces and everything that mm-hmm. came after. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, but it's, it's funny. I, I just read recently that the cinematographer of the Joker sequel said that their main influence was one from the heart. So that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to manifest, but if the first, if for the first movie it was Taxi Driver and uh, yeah, King of Comedy, it'll be interesting to see one yeah. from the heart as a Joker movie. Yeah, we'll see. So we well, only got a two-year gap. I wasn't, wasn't a big. You weren't a big fan. <laughs> I I just I wasn't a big fan of of Joker, but that sounds interesting. Yeah, well, I'm mixed on. <laughs> I'm I was curious, mixed on Joker. Now. Um, so then yeah. we've only got a two year gap until the next movie from 2007 to 2009. Yeah. I think it was 2009 yeah. for Tetro. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you haven't seen I, Tetro yet. Again, yeah. Tetro, I haven't seen. Don't really know what to expect. Another movie that was really released very quietly and. I believe also this is completely self-financed and self-distributed too, I think. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. And we will have a special guest on our next episode as well. Um, my friend uh, Mark Hansen, who I work with and who Reese has yet to meet, but, uh, is, you know, a fellow fellow clerk. So uh, we'll, we'll have a, a really solid conversation about Tetro, I'm sure. I look forward to that. And Tetro is a movie I, I really like a lot. Um, I haven't watched it again probably since it came out. I watched it a couple of yeah. times when it came out. And I I had, I, 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 put, I remember ranking it really highly. So I'm curious to go back and watch it again. Uh, I won't spoil any of it for you by saying what I think of it yet. But um, yeah, we'll come back. We'll have a special guest and we'll, we'll get into Tetro next week. And in the meantime, We've got uh, an email address if anyone wants to get in touch with us, right, Bjorn? Absolutely. Uh, send us an email. Tell us what you think. Tell us what your Coppola rankings are. And 
uh, all all sorts of what, what anything you want, anything Coppola related. We'll uh, we'll read them all. <laughs> it's uh, the filmography the podcast at gmail dot com. That is the filmography the podcast all one word at gmail dot com. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you everybody for listening and hopefully you're enjoying uh, watching these Coppola films along with us and we will be back for Tetro. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Reed. Thanks, Bjorn.